Welcome back to Nerdball. I'm Tucker Richardson, and today we have a really special pod, really special guest, um, Henry Abbott from True Hoop Basketball, uh, talking all things bubble, all things NBA media. Uh, Simon, how do you think today went? Honestly, I think I've said this like five times already, and we've recorded like 13 pods. I think this was the best pod. (laughs) Yeah, it was awesome. It was a really good discussion, uh, really enlightening, and definitely uncovered some new truths uh, that we didn't know before. So, Really excited to have him on, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Henry, it's a pleasure to have you on today. Awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, first of all, I just want to talk about your brand. So True Hoop, uh, we really love the title of that, um, and it's, it's just such a cool, a cool title. It really grabs your attention, but I'm curious, uh, what is it really about the NBA that, that is untrue, and why is it so important to uncover those truths in the NBA? Um, and how does the NBA really react when you write pieces that aren't necessarily as flattering as you might hope? Um, do you get any pushback for those kind of things? Oh, they love me. <laughs> no, so uh, it's a little bit okay. First of all, I think that you know sports are an emotional thing, and um, it, the business kind of hinges on, like you know, I grew up watching the Trailblazers, and the sort of essential business is based on like I need to just love the Trailblazers, and so the local coverage is just gauzy perfection. And right. if Jerome Kersey has something with a teenage girl in a hotel in salt lake city like ah, what you know we'll just move it on <laughs> right? right um whereas like you know once i got to be covering the league every day i was alarmed at how it wasn't like it was in the paper <laughs> right. and i was further alarmed by how the people who create the paper know this right i was just a little bit struck by like oh my gosh there's just so many layers of horse crap here um some of which is just sort of the traditions of how the sport's covered um And some of which is, I think, kind of at at times it's intentional, right? It's sort of covering up like Michael Jordan had a child and everyone agreed not to say that, right? Um, So I I just don't, I I don't have a lot of tolerance for that. It's a personal thing for me. It's like a weird thing, but I just was, it was my career. I was doing it and I was like, I just can't, I can't play this game of living in horse crap. Um, So I started, um, you know, downstairs from where I'm sitting right now, I thought up the name True Hoop and uh, then feeling comfortable with it ever since um as far as how the nba reacts um i think that they actually kind of like it um so let's say um you know tillman fertita the owner of the houston rockets is like comes from this crazy family which certainly 100 years ago certainly 50 years ago had a ton of mob involvement right like they have to deal with that. There are people who have actual jobs who aren't in the mob who have to like deal with that every day. It's part of their job every day and nobody knows how hard that is. So right. I wrote about it, right? It's like yeah. on some off the record level, I think they're kind of like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like it's nice to not have to live in the BS. Um, but does that, you know, but at times, you know, I've written about doping. Um, I've written about uh, uh, some of the stuff with owners um for sure they yell at me like in the most fantastic ways (laughs) so then is it actually harder to get that information out of people like it must be really tedious to to ask questions like hard questions that people don't normally want to talk about right yeah it's not great i mean mean, uh yeah um this is where i miss davis stern because like adam silver doesn't take a lot of difficult questions he's not available um but stern did stern was out there every day and you could ask him about like i mean i asked him a um, I asked him about uh, Donaghy fixing games in a pretty pointed way. 
and he just like <laughs> ripped me a new one on TV in front of everybody. And then later that night, he was walking out of the arena and did like this, like, like the nanny nanny foo foo move. <laughs> just turned, it was just like, ah, like, let's wrestle a little bit, right? And to Silver, it's like, oh, no, 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 we don't want to talk about that, right? And I, I do better with the first, you know, <laughs> like it's like a, it suits me better um, to fight with Davis Stern than to like have Adam Silver seethe or whatever he's doing. Right. Well, uh, going into some more controversial media members, Bill. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> right into Billy. So I honestly had never really listened to a constant podcast for most of my life until sophomore year, this past year, when I started getting really getting into Bill, because he just has such a unique insight on what's going on, but then also making it still entertaining. So it's not like he's just like Stephen A. Smith, just like rambling to get, to get, a, to get a reaction out of the viewer. He's really like has this insight. But then when I started reading these articles in New York Times and I read your article about this only child mentality, my perspective kind of shifted on it. I don't know yeah. if it was like the halo effect or what else was going on, but I used to check the pod every morning uh, and every night if there was a new one coming out. But now it's like I hardly do. Like it's almost once a week. So I was wondering, uh, did you like expect that article you wrote to have that reappraisal and that perception shift for the reader or were you just more just writing it because it's the truth? Um, I mean, everything I do is the latter thing. Um, I think for me, a good trigger to write something is like everybody thinks X, but I have good information Y, right? Yeah. Um, and that was one of those things where um, Bill was in the news that week. Um, I guess the... Ringer had just sold and then um, he did that interview about like diversity and he said something yeah. really stupid um, or he emailed something really stupid, which is even worse. Right. right. Yeah. And then, and so then my timeline on, I'm, I'm a Twitter user. I don't really use any social media, but um, was like three days of people who don't know Bill Simmons with like big opinions about Bill Simmons. And it just annoyed me to like, no, like, He's not that. He's not like a KKK member, right? right. Um, for sure not. And and he's not, um, you know, the sort of savior of journalism. He's not a journalist at all, right? Um, proudly so, right? He doesn't get credential. He doesn't interview people. All, like, um, but uh, to me, like, I do have some experience with him. I worked with him for basically 10 years. And he was like, just, so point A is, you know, an angel, point B is the devil. I was like, no, he's over here in like this third spot that's like just more particular, this kind of only child mentality thing, which is like way better than being the devil and way worse than being an angel. And so I just felt like I need to sketch out like, like if we're all going to talk about Bill all week, like let me just, as someone who actually fucking met the guy, <laughs> like, let me, right. like let me say something, right? Sorry, are we cursing on this show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the pandemic, now everybody's cursing, right? Like, uh, just, it's fine. Um, so, so that was my goal really was just like, you know, I have a view on this thing. I'm very comfortable with it. Like it was not like, I, um, I forget who I was saying this to, but somebody, I was like, this was not the version of like, these are the worst things I know about Bill. Like that would be a totally different article. Yeah. yeah right? Right. This was like, ah, he's kind of got this certain thing. And, and uh, if you wanted to say, I have an agenda and I'm jealous, like probably true. Like, you know, Bill sucked up all the resources for what I do for a living at ESPN. Right. Like, like, you know, he got to hire everybody he wanted to hire. No one else got to hire anybody. Um, yeah, I'm jealous about that. Like, that, that, that hurts. Um, I don't think it changes the story, though. The things that I've reported are like, those really happened, you know? Um, right. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm sorry if the podcast is less uh, enjoyable to you now. That wasn't a goal, but I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, 
it is what it is. And like, you need that truth. You really need to uncover what's going on and to really gain that true unbiased perspective from the person that you're listening to. So I, I actually really appreciate it to get it in that form. Oh, thanks, man. I'm curious, actually, what did you listen to his response? He had like a short response on one of the podcasts right after. You didn't even listen, didn't listen to it? To anything. I probably should, but um, yeah, all I, all, what I got from it was like some on Twitter was like, boom, roasted, like Abbott's done. And I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he really briefly responded to the whole okay. kind of like the whole thing that was going on um, and just what kind of moved on. It was really interesting. He just moved on. It wasn't even like really didn't even phase him. And I wonder what that says about you know him in the ringer and all that stuff so i think he, I think he deleted twitter after that too <laughs> did he I actually think, i think so yeah <laughs> so this is an interesting thing like like if i were a college journalism professor um and for like 10 minutes a year i fantasize about that no more than that um but uh like i think the biggest power of like having the mic is not what you say into the mic but what topic you make the topic right yeah. so like the new york times every day gets to decide like what people are going to talk about not it doesn't matter what's in paragraph 10 it matters what the topic is out of yep, every yep. topic right and to me like this isn't a good topic for bill right like yeah. he should just pick any other topic right? yeah exactly <laughs> and i guess he power. has the reach in the audience where he kind of can like he can just kind of move on from it yeah he just doesn't have to talk about this. and you can honestly you can do i've seen it so many times now like where the nba has some scandal and it's like just don't say anything <laughs> at all like like it's fine like the Senate Intelligence Committee released like this incredibly damning report like five days ago, like completely forgotten already. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it just like it didn't do anything. You have to say anything. It's just fine. Like, you know, five more people, five bigger things have happened since. Like, it's fine. So yeah, I he he doesn't have to talk about this for sure. <laughs> right. Transitioning a little bit into uh the, your perception of some of the announcers right now that's going on in the bubble. So obviously the job of announcers is just very challenging because you have to remain stoic and deliver play by play, but then also sprinkle on your own opinion. So which announcer do you think is the best at being brutally honest, but then also remaining stoic throughout the game? So I should tell you, I often listen. I often uh, turn the volume off. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, wow. I just can't stand it. Um, like, oh, wow. So everybody, I mean, I listen, I do. Um, and I'll tell you what, I could, <laughs> this is something I probably shouldn't say, but um, uh, I, I think I texted uh, some friends, but I'm like, Stan Van Gundy is like prepared Jeff Van Gundy. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We were, we, were listening, we were listening to the game and we couldn't, at first we couldn't tell if it was Stan or Jeff, but then yeah. after a couple of minutes, you're like, oh, it's Stan. Okay. Now you can tell the difference. Stan does his homework. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean like... It's very like there. Okay, the other day there was a moment where uh, Wenyan Gabriel checked into the game. I think in the I forget which game it was. Well, not in the playoffs, and um, and made a play, and they didn't. No one said his name for forty seconds. <laughs> like, like, they like, didn't. Okay. Like, oh, it's just like oh my god, you don't know who it is. <laughs> like, right, right. Stan Montgomery knows who Wenyan Gabriel is. Like I guarantee it. He knows where he went right. to college. He knows the whole thing, right? Um. And he talks about the preparation because he's new and he's trying to earn it. But, um, you know, these dudes uh, are, there's no profit in being expert or sharing important knowledge, right? Like the game is just to go, they don't need us to watch. We're already in. They need our parents to watch and our, our kids to watch and our friends to watch who aren't that into basketball. So like everything is geared to just like, just simple, simple, um, you know, the analysis is not what, even what they think is good analysis. Right. Um, 
Um, also, look what we're doing right now. So we're using all this technology that was invented in the last few years, right? Um, to like experiment with new media. Like these guys have done none of that. Like the innovation to me, okay, we got the shot clock on the court. Um, occasionally there's a little cool thing coming out of timeout with like, this is where Damian Lillard's shots went from or whatever, right? right. But um, like the innovation's been basically zero. And it just, I'm like, you guys just got to step it up. Like, let me know yeah. when you're ready to like, like make it different than 1960 out there. Cause for now yeah. it feels like it's just too, it all feels. I mean, like one so of good. the, one of the things that I thought might happen with the bubble, especially with no fans was we'd hear more about like, we, maybe they'd mic up all the players and it would just be the players talking on the court. And that'd be a really interesting new kind of nuance to the game, but I'm totally. sure they're really afraid of players saying the wrong thing. I mean, I know they like, even last night they were micing up LeBron, but you don't get that much. They, they definitely still pick and choose what they're going to show people. Yeah. Yeah, I used to know this dude who had the job of like cleaning, right? Like, so they, you know, this is a 20-year battle where the league wants to mic everybody and the coaches don't want it and the players don't want it and they like end up negotiating to those like stupid end of quarter interviews with the coaches, right? And, um, and but the promise is basically they won't share anything strategic or anything that make you look bad, right? Right. And so you end up with just like, all right, guys, all right, guys. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I actually kind of like it, but we were just talking about today. I'm like, I think that actually... One thing they could do in the bubble, which I love, is I would just have a little edited montage of um, bench cheering, bench reactions, players freaking out on the bench. Yep. Like, I love that. It's, like, so fun. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's I, – I think they're wrong. Like, ratings are down, um, you know, for a decade, basically. I think that they are wrong to sanitize it, right? I think that actually the league would be more popular if you were aware that LeBron had made a bet with – you know anthony davis about something yeah. stupid right like, i think you want we want it that's actually better for the league even though it's a little you know politically yeah. correct or whatever yeah no i i agree with that also um shoot i forgot where i was going i scrambled your brain <laughs> oh, oh wait, I, got, I, got, I got i got it oh so you were talking about filtering the players but i don't know if you saw us in the nfl but sam darnold against the patriots so that guy who was filtering the nba players yeah, sam yeah. darnold on espn goes i'm seeing ghosts and they showed that. How could you yeah. show that? And not? And then during the NBA game, they're not going to show like a bet between LeBron and Anthony Davis. <laughs> right, right. Wait, was there something about, he was like, uh, as long as I'm mic'd up, like uh, arrest the cops and kill Breon Taylor? Was that the same? No, I don't think that was the same. That was oh, there was, there was an NFL player in practice. He was like, oh, I'm mic'd up. And he's talking to his friends like, oh, you're wearing a mic? And he's like, yeah, as long as I'm mic'd up, might as well arrest the cops and kill Breon Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I was thinking one of the innovative innovations that they did have, we saw it earlier this year was like the Zion cam. They literally yeah. just had a camera on Zion for his first couple of games. And it's like, yeah. that, like they got to become more creative with stuff like that. But uh, I was wondering, so speaking of the Lakers, we're speaking about LeBron. And I know you've written about this a little bit. And I actually, I, I came up with this question before I read that you had talked about this, but it's something that I've always wondered. And, I, and it's, it's coming to fruition in the bubble right now is, is that the role players on the Lakers have been struggling. Like guys like Danny Green, KCP obviously caught fire last night, but um, they've been struggling. And I, I don't even know how, how well you can answer this, but is LeBron actually considered a good teammate or someone that is fun to play with? Or is he just put too much pressure on, on guys like role players? And I know you wrote a little bit about um, Kyrie and his relationship. And I just wanted your perspective on him as an actual teammate. Obviously, he's a very unselfish player, very good at throwing passes and getting assists. But actually, when it comes down to business and making shots, um, what is your perspective on, on what LeBron is like? So I think he's um, uh, a particular kind of teammate, right? So 
it works for some people. Um, I, you know, Mike Miller, Ray Allen, um, uh, Chris Bosch, like they all have the mentality to be um, really early to practice. And, you know, mm-hmm. everything is buttoned up. And, and if they're like computers, right? You throw the ball to one of those guys, like everybody knows they're going to make like the matrix of the next like five decisions will be exactly as agreed to. <laughs> and right. that kind of keeps LeBron in control, right? Like, so he's like the taskmaster dad, right? And as long as everybody's on point and everybody's lined up when it's time to go, like everyone get in the car on time, like we're good. Um, the problem I think is that like Steph Curry benefits from having like a bunch of kooks who run around and do crazy things that are magnificent at basketball, right? Like yeah. Draymond Green does not follow the program. <laughs> like, and especially on defense, right? He's just kind of like, hot reads all the time, right? Like they have a certain strategy, but like Draymond processes really fast and he just kind of does what he sees. And, and um, I understand actually that at halftime, there's, I forget uh, which coach is supposed to be in charge of defense on that team, but they basically just listen to Draymond. They're like, what are they doing? How does it work? And like Draymond has the best processor for it, right? Yeah. right? LeBron's not handing over to that control, right? Like he would not be a good Draymond teammate, right? Like, cause he does, cause LeBron is the smartest guy in the room and wants to be and has, has to be. And so that, I think it means that he's played with old guys, basically. It means that, all, you know, all these Jordan Crawfords who want to just run around and see what they can do. Like, that's not going to work. It just does not a history of that working next to LeBron. So I think he ends up with these kind of, you know, not a lot of spring left in them kind of teammates <laughs> you know, like, yeah. who've really proven they show up every day. And, you know, KCP was good in game two. But, you know, when you're that age and that many miles, like, you're good two out of five, you know. Um, Whereas, you know, the, the idea that LeBron's always had like subpar rosters, I think is, is because he's had a lot of influence over those rosters, right? Hmm. Yeah, they've traded away draft picks from like every team he's ever been on because um, he doesn't want the young people coming in and jacking around or being yep. late or partying or being hungover or whatever the thing is. So I don't know. So I think it's if, you're, if you can come up with 12 LeBron mentality players, he's the best teammate ever. Mike Miller would say he's the best teammate ever. But who has that? You know? Right, right. Um, you probably know on your team who he would not want to play with. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, cause obviously the, the Jordan doc, I'm thinking about like back in Michael Jordan, obviously that came out early this year and people are commenting on how Michael Jordan was as a teammate. He was a killer. He was also really hard on his teammates. I never really got the sense that LeBron had that, um, had that same sort of reputation, but maybe, maybe that's just because it's not a, people don't talk about it as much. Maybe, maybe he kind of does actually have that similar reputation. Um, as someone who really gets under his teammates' skin, or is that a little different? Yeah, no, I think, but he's just like more annoying, right? Like, um, <laughs> right? It's not like he's gonna like like tear your soul out. He's just, um, well, actually, we've all seen this, right? His whole career, there are these moments where um, the play, like, you know, his team has the ball and the play like flies up the court and he just walks. Yeah. And like, like this dude who knows him very well, worked with him for a long time, was like 100% of that time, it's because he's so mad at his teammates, he can't even bring himself to run. Like, um, <laughs> we all know what that feels like, right? It's just weird in a, that's not the guy you'd pick as your like coach. You yeah. know what I mean? But he's de facto coach of every team he's on because he, um, I could blame, okay. LeBron can make whatever it is, 30 something million a year now, and he's worth like 100 million. So he has 75 million in pain in the ass factor that he gets to just throw around, you know, yeah. bring in my friend, bring in my trainer. Like I want to <laughs> leave it this time at that time, removing practice this time, you know, whatever. I don't like the GM. I don't like the coach. Like <laughs> if they could just pay him a hundred million dollars, they could just tell him to shut up. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but because they got a big discount on him. So now 
you got to put up with that. So he is the de facto coach, right? If he sours on Frank Vogel, Frank Vogel's gone. Um, so I think that's the problem right there is he's kind of particular. He thinks the only way to win is by getting there really, really early and working extra hard like he does. Um, he's not that interested in young empowered teammates. He's not interested in you exploring the limits of your abilities. Um, <laughs> and so you end up with a certain formula, right? It's a uh, little bit. Kuzma will be out the door soon. Just you can see those personalities <laughs> do not jibe. Uh, Davis, on the other hand, he's just so compatible because he's so easy to play with on the court, has no ego, and really could just be the perfect fit for LeBron down the road. Just that young 27-year-old who's just great on the court, but then also off the court. Like, clearly they have a great relationship. And he's like, like he's LeBron's move, right? The better Davis is, the writer LeBron yep, is, yep. right? Like, um, the problem, I think, is going to be the ball. Right. So like LeBron's just, you know, Kyrie ran the offense for a while in Cleveland and was like, you know, spent a lot of time with it. And then LeBron just changed the offense and took the ball away. And eventually Kyrie asked for trade. Right. Um, so like as LeBron gets older, like even right now, he's not particularly LeBron with the ball right now. I don't know if he's a little injured or something, but he's not going to age well as like primary ball handler, like jamming his body into the paint and trying to be a threat. Like, so that's where I don't know without the ball, like he's, his OCD is going to go bananas. I think like, yeah. um, is he going to play power forward? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is that what he's going to do? Like, what's he going to do? He I don't know. Quite well enough to play off the ball down the road also. So. Yeah. 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 I wonder if, I wonder if a player in any sport has had the type of influence on an organization that he has on his organizations. Like, I really, I'm curious. I, I mean, I don't think Jordan had that even when he was playing, um, I don't think athletes were empowered enough to do something like that. But even in other sports, I can't really think of anybody that could literally decide whether a coach stays, what players get traded, if they would trade half their team to get a superstar like they did with Anthony Davis. Like all those decisions are basically made by one person. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I don't like, I, I'm not mad about it. I think he's yeah. earned it, right? Yeah, like I, he's, I'd rather have him. Do, I mean, come on, like the Rob Plink is a total basket case like like there's no way he's better at this than lebron is right like um, <laughs> um so yeah i i it's just, it's just you know it's, it's unlikely that he's the best ever at all of those things right even like like when doc rivers was full-on gm like you know he didn't make good transactions like he just he had to compete against people who were who'd spent their ten thousand hours getting good at that thing right so I think the only, you know, it would be, it would be, it would benefit LeBron if somebody could earn his trust as the person who would be like, no, I got this. We're going to make these trades or make these draft picks or whatever. Um, I don't think he really has that though. People haven't earned that, his trust in that way. Yeah. Uh, I want to hear your take on a couple of NBA players. I mean, we're talking more big picture now, but um, so I feel like there's a lot of NBA players that media members and fans tend to lionize and perceive as like the savior just because of their flash and what they provide, like Melo's post-up mid-range that he's done for the Knicks for 45 years. So I think he's the embodiment of this player that's not necessarily impactful for winning, but uh, has that flash and has all the, has that acclaim. So do you think there's uh, another player that embodies that in the NBA right now, or at least in the bubble? Yeah, it's about our own biases, right? Like we delude ourselves all day. Um, You know, like you might prefer like, sugary foods <laughs> you know because it's like your brain's like mm, like you know it's, just, it's not because you think it's smart it's because you're just kind of want it right now right um 
So buckets are the thing, right? So, I mean, I grew up, uh, my, the first team I covered closely was Allen Iverson 76ers. And, you know, like Allen Iverson was just the most captivating player I've ever seen. Like it was so fun to watch him play. But, you know, then advanced stats, people look back and they're like, you know, he couldn't really shoot threes um, <laughs> and he didn't play D. And like, and he had the ball all game long and he often had like, you know, like a two for 10 quarter, right? And once you put all that together, like, you're not that good. <laughs> like, like, you're definitely not the MVP, right? And um, so, yeah, we, un- we consistently undervalue defense. We consistently undervalue you know, just like LeBron's just sheer size, like makes him a way better player in a way that your brain, your eyes never are like, Ooh, he's so good. It's like, no, he just was giant right there. Like, and that helps. Right. Um, so yeah, I, it's usually going to be buckets. It's usually going to be like highlight things, box counting stats in the box score, uh, triple doubles. Um, you know, I think it's for a long time. (laughs) Here's what makes me think about it. I'm sorry. I'm talking so much. So you're good. The thunder for a long time, were the team that was like two ISO players and like no teamwork, right? And they'd say, oh, you know, they're like, you know, not well coached and then people got super mad. Uh, then they traded, well, they lost all the good players <laughs> and ended up with, with Chris Paul. And now they're the, in the regular season, they're the ball movement team. And now the thunder story is like, you guys, there's magical power in attacking where the defense isn't and in stretching out the, you know, and it's like, yeah, we fucking knew that. You know, like, like, you're the guys who attacked the best defender on the court every possession for like seven years. You know, like, like, right. Like, anyway, so, yeah. Did I answer your question? <laughs> well, I, I think just bringing up the Thunder is a great point because I think someone like Russell Westbrook, who, when he was with the Thunder, was stat padding, telling Steven Adams, don't grab that rebound. I want the triple-double. <laughs> right. But, but now – um, with the Rockets, I, I genuinely believe that he's trying to win and help them win. But I think with the Thunder, he wanted that triple-double for the season. He wanted these stats. So I think his transition into becoming a really positive impact player, I don't know if that's a product of the system or just his change in mentality, but he's really become one of my favorite players because of that change. I don't know if you noticed that as well. Well, he kind of changed position too, right? Like he's sort yeah. of a power forward now. Like, um, yeah, really, really. Um, <laughs> and I think, like, you know, I don't – I think it helps people get older too. I remember like, uh, you know, Rasheed Wallace in Detroit was a total like contributing to a title player. And like in Portland, he was something else. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that you, you sense your mentality, your mortality a little bit. And then you're like, okay, what do I have to do? Um, but I do. Uh, okay. There's like this, there's like at the soul of the sport right now, there's a live debate, which is like, is it an individual sport or a team sport? By which I mean, like, like Michael Jordan just humiliated his defender. And one championships doing it, right? Yeah. Kobe Bryant, same thing, right? Um, Steph, maybe kind of, but really what works now is, you know, like I could crush you and I'm still going to give the ball to this guy over here, yeah. right? Um, and I think we're very frustrated about this. So um, I'm a Blazers fan, as I mentioned, you know, the ball pings around the perimeter until it gets to Carmelo, who is killing himself. He's skinny. He wants to be a good teammate, but he just doesn't have the mentality to make that one more pass. Like he just, yeah. he's just not used to it. Right. Like there are times where it's like, he's doubled. There's a shovel pass for Hassan Whiteside dunk. Like it's the easiest thing ever. It's the only NBA play I could make. 
And yeah. he's just like, no, nah, I think I got this. <laughs> it's like, and it's crazy because he's actually so much better than he even was with the Knicks. Like now at least he's kind of sitting in the corner and taking more open catch and shoot threes instead of being yeah. and stuff. But, but you're right. Like he still hasn't figured that out. He hasn't totally flipped the switch yet. I don't think he ever will. It's just, he just isn't trained that way. He wasn't raised that way. Right. right. They used to talk about, so um, the Rockets were trying to get mellow for a long time before they did. And um, at one point I was like, why, like, why do you, what's the, how's this going to work? Right. And, um, and basically that whole thing was like, if he's just what you said, uh, Tucker, if he's team USA, mellow, who shoots three from the Catch corner and, shoot and he's a pretty rebounder. Um, yeah, like he he's fantastic. Right. Yeah. You can get him to do that. And, Nobody ever got him to do that until I, I fully credit Damian Lillard. I think like they were in a social media campaigning for him for years before they got him. They hauled him off the scrap pile. I thought he'd never play again. He tasted mortality. And, and then Damian goes in the post-game interview and is just like, like, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. There's nothing him. surprising about him doing what he's yeah. doing right now. Like, of course you will stand in the corner for that guy. You know, like, <laughs> like, but, like they love him. I mean, now like, it makes no sense. To start him at three when Zach Collins was back, right? Like he's not a three, <laughs> like not yeah. anymore. But they're, but you know, they're standing by him, right? They're just pumping him full of positivity and belief. And now he gets to guard LeBron. It's like what? Like he was <laughs> retired a few months ago, you know, like, like a, or a year ago. But um, anyway, yeah, I, he's he's playing way better than, or he's smarter, way more team focused than ever in his life. Occasionally he dives on the floor now, like. <laughs> I still think he's like ultimately a product of the belief that basketball is a one-on-one game. I mean, you say that the the game is more kind of team involved and I, I get that, but at the same time, I mean, if you look at the last, at least three or four championships, the Raptors last year, Kawhi, when, when push came to shove, Kawhi was basically a one-on-one player. Like if they needed a bucket, they sent Kawhi out to get a bucket. Two years before that, Kevin Durant is like a one-on-one player. So I guess some of the top teams, like the Raptors definitely were like a more involved team. Like they moved the ball a lot more than, um, than some of those other teams, but it's still, they still needed that one kind of guy that can just go get a bucket. Um, I think the Spurs were kind of like the last team maybe that didn't have that guy. They kind of just, it was the team that really moved the ball and obviously the Warriors before KD got there. But um, even this year, you're looking at the teams that are at the top all have at least one really heavy ISO guy that can go get a bucket. Um, it's totally true like i think you need to distort the defense right like in a lot of different ways to do that but like you can't have like five guys in position everybody marked up and then yeah you know like like when kobe was taking crunch time shots in his prime he was like triple teamed <laughs> everybody knew where the yeah. attack was coming from right that's and he shot 25 percent. like that's not good like that's not going to work anymore it did yeah. work he did win championships doing that but like that to me like if there, if everything is happening such that your bucket getter is triple teamed, like so, Kawhi's, yeah, he's just going to get a bucket. But at the same time, like everybody's one more step out of the paint because of you know Siakam over here and Lowry right. over there and Gasol over here, right? Like, like they're making space, um, and you need to make space. Like Steph, you know, honestly, like you know that the Steph's first finals, like the defense had no idea what to do, right? Yeah. Like, like people were getting wide open dunks because it was like we're just freaked about this dude the and movement the cutting the shooting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So i think you got to get them all this is where i see lillard like when i'm like they're it's working like uh, where the lakers are masterfully like sending a ton of attention to lillard like between the three-point line and half court but like once you have all those defenders out there like 
it's vulnerable. <laughs> like, right. like the, someone's gonna, someone's gonna figure something out with some kind of Nurkic is gonna be doing that tomahawk thing soon, right? <laughs> like something's coming. Um, so I think that's the thing is your superstars definitely distort the defense. The system can distort the defense. You probably want both. The Rockets are a great embodiment of that because they have their ISO players of Russ and uh, Harden. But I'm really more interested in the other guys. So I, I was looking at their like nine-man rotation. Four of them were waived. So that's like 45% of their roster were waived in the last two years. which awesome. is honestly, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's preposterous. So Rivers, Macklemore, House, and Jeff Green. Wow. And obviously they wouldn't be successful on any other team. They're clearly a product of the system rather than anything else. But the fact that the Rockets, like front office and D'Antoni, are able to maximize their players of guys that are just on the street waved, it's such a skill to do that. I think the Raptors have done that as well with their multitude of G League players. So I don't know, but if we're going based off front office competency, they should be the two teams in the finals, I think. And um, I'm just not, I'm surprised there's not more teams finding ways to maximize those G League and veterans that are just being waived constantly uh, like the Raptors and Rockets are. I totally agree. Um, I, I don't think we're overwhelmed with front office competence in the NBA. Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, this is a very rare example of a front office actually having a strategy and betting on it. Yep. Right. Like that 30 teams should be doing that. Yep. It's yeah. not actually outrageous. That's what every business does. Right. Like, um, but instead, there's a lot more of like, you know, will this get me fired? Is this too risky? You know, et cetera. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I would love it if we were in a, in a world where, um, like, it, so if you get current NBA GMs talking, like they all have their like G League player that they just think could kill it, but there's some reason why it wouldn't, they can't sign him right now or this <laughs> or that or whatever. And it's like, just go sign all those guys, right? Like, like um, I mean, I'm a, I mentioned when this is my second Wenyan Gabriel reference of the podcast. Like, I love it. I love yeah. it. Um, you know, so David Thorpe knows basketball way more than me. And um, he uh, is big time in your camp of just like, there's, you know, 50 guys in the G league who could help NBA teams win right now. And, um, and he watches Wenyan Gabriel, who's a fouling hot mess. And, but this giant long guy who plays his butt off. Right. And sometimes can shoot um, total gamer. Like super excited to get his first bloody nose from LeBron, right? And uh, and David's like, how do you not like? How does every team not draft this guy? Like, it's a little crazy, right? Um, uh, he he. Anyway, so there's a bunch of those. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, there's a ton of competence. I don't think there's a ton of like conviction. Um, there's one more part of this is like I, I just learned that like in soccer advanced stats they do this thing where it's situational they'll recruit for situations so basically like we have a guy who can receive a pass at a million miles an hour from the right side and turn it into a goal as he cuts through traffic right yep. so they'll find a guy who can make that pass like they'll just look at the advanced stats and find who does that um in the nba we're so stuck on your personal brand like you know carmelo is x and ad is y and i feel like this is pretty ballsy i'm sure the rockets are doing this where it's like these are situational players that you're yep. talking about right and like I, I think that's very that's a big bet on your own understanding of the game, um, but I think that's very promising is to kind of atomize it. Like, what's the what are the molecules of the game? Totally, because I mean, if you think about the NBA in terms of play type, so like maybe Wenyan Gabriel, not the best spot up shooter, but you put him at the three or four, he can guard one to four, 
rebound, make hustle plays. So let's just put him in that case, give him 18 minutes a game. Someone like Gary Trent, he might be good at just spot up catch and shoot threes and maybe a little off the dribble stuff. But if you do anything else and you have him handle the ball, that won't work. So you really need to find these situations, like you're saying, to really optimize and maximize these players. And there used to be like, so when I first started covering basketball before really advanced stats, um, you know, there were like six, seven kind of primary attacks, right? Like of, you know, you'd post a big guy up or you'd run a pick and roll or whatever. Um, and they were all about the same in value as far as we knew, right? Um, so you kind of just picked one. Like if you had this personality, you just do this one. Out. Like what the Rockets are doing now is a different thing. They're saying, no, no, no. We value certain kinds of attack more than others. Like we're not using the post, right? Like um, we're not, well, not unless it's like Russ, right? But, um, but uh, I think there's like, a, I like that. I, this is exciting to me where like, we're not just remixing the same equal value tools, making it like a game of luck. Instead, we're making a, a sort of strategic choice based on evidence um, and saving it right. And also what's interesting about the Rockets, and I heard you guys talking about this, Henry, is that they're actually not that great of a three-point shooting know, team. They, weird, kind of, right? they actually kind of trick teams into thinking that they're really good three-point shooting, and then they're, they're really good at the rim instead. And yeah. I think that's also so interesting. It's like they've kind of figured out how to make it seem like they are something that they're really kind of not. Um, like we were talking about only Ben McElmore is really the only great three-point shooter they have. The rest of those guys are just kind of average right now. Um, and yet they've figured out a way to score a ton of points and, and just and lock in defensively because they have tough guys like P.J. Tucker, even though he's small. Um, he's just tough and he'll, he'll get under the other team's skin and all those things. So they're, while some teams might be having some kind of crisis of identity, the Rockets have really figured out what their identity is. Yeah, and I think they, like, they're not shooting threes particularly well, but they're forcing defenses to cover a giant amount of space. Yeah. So that's the win, right? Like, I tried to get this. I tried so hard, and we just couldn't do it. When I was uh, ESPN in the magazine, I wanted to make some graphics of, like, how many square feet the defenses cover against your offense, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and once you're, you know, once the string is stretched so tight, like, it's just easily broken, right? Like, yeah. and so the Rockets are getting a lot of square feet. Um, so you might not even take that three, but, like, once you're spread out, like, they're all, that's just – favor offense right and then, throw, um, and then throw in two guys that can get by basically anybody right. and it's yeah it's just that's why simon i mean i don't know if you know this but simon's favorite team is the rockets he thinks they're gonna win the championship yeah, we'll yeah. see but <laughs> but i mean that's why they're just very dangerous and they're just a dangerous playoff team especially i i'm, I'm happy with what's happening so far i mean come on it's scary to have them as your favorite team right simon <laughs> like it's a little like like oh, oh, oh geez oh god <laughs> i know i know that celtic i don't know if you remember this game the celtic rocky game right before the sloan it was like a week before that was the game Jalen brown had the game tying three at the buzzer mm -hmm. i mean just seeing the matchup i think the one team that could really beat them is the clippers if they if they match up in the uh western conference finals is because they can match up small ball and they have the personnel to really take them down. That's the one team I'm scared of with the Rockets. But everyone else, I think the Rockets beat the Lakers. I, I, I think, I really think between Covington and Tucker, I think they can stop Davis, or at least you limit him to 40, and you get an extra 42 points from other three-point shooting. Like, like, I feel like overall the only team that can really take them down right now is the Clippers. I don't know on your take on that, but. I like it. I'm excited. You got me excited. Um, yeah. I don't uh... – I am interested. It's so interesting, right? So they make news for this, like, kooky, what are they doing? Like, you know, crazy trade. And, um, and then, man, if we believe the reporting, the Jazz were, like, manipulating everything to avoid the Rockets, right? So I'm like, 
You know what I mean? Like the standing, yeah. like, like, well, okay. Do we think it's awesome or not awesome? Right. And if everybody thinks it's awesome, why is nobody else doing it? Right. Like, I don't like, what's the memo here? I, I, I don't know. I'm a little worried to be honest. Um, Anthony Davis is the one who'd worry me. Maybe today's the day for that, right? Like, um, I just watched Hassan Whiteside and Yusuf Nurkic like look like little baby dolls. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> awesome, you know, like, yeah. Um, but I mean, just because he has skill and he can really move and like he's doesn't you can you picture he like holds the ball up high and PJ Tucker's like swiping? Yeah, he's like trying to reach it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just saying that because I remember the two regular season games when the Rockets, I think they beat them twice, the Lakers in the regular season pre-bubble, and it was AD scoring 44, and the Rockets won by 15. And I was just like, what? <laughs> like, I'm checking the box score, and I'm like, what? <laughs> is this pre-Covington or post-Covington? This was post-Covington. This was like, I oh. think, the 10th game of the year. Let me check it. Um. Yeah, I don't know. You have way more and better info than I do on this. I don't remember Rockets Lakers games at all. I really remember what I had for breakfast. Okay, it was February. <laughs> yeah, February six. So uh, they just got Covington. Yeah, they won by oh, ten. Yeah. Lakers. Yeah. Oh, AD at thirty-two and thirteen, and they won by ten. And I, I don't. Know, I, I okay. just remember that game, and I'm like, okay, we they could take them. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I mean, these three-point shooting teams, right? Like, what, what did Harden have in that game? Harden. Harden didn't even play. Westbrook oh. at 41. Oh, I do remember. This was like right after the trade. Yeah, right after. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a, that was a national TV game, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Well, strong argument. <laughs> no, one game That one game is just an aberration. I mean, obviously, but uh, I, I just felt comfortable with the way they played throughout the bubble. And these last two against the Thunder, I mean, this could honestly be a sweep or five-game series, it looks like right now. Yeah. Can I tell you guys something that's like a, um, I don't know. I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, I wrote, I, I, I sort of know Mike D'Antoni um, yeah. and his wife who are fantastic. Uh, and I wrote a little bit of an assholey thing about like wearing your mask under your nose. And I made a I joke about like yeah, yeah. dick nose or whatever. He hasn't taken it off since then. <laughs> I don't want to claim credit, but like since the, we published that on whatever day, like literally his mask has been here every second since then. That's all. I could be wrong. Check me if I'm wrong, but like I think maybe, maybe True Hoop had a little effect on Mike D'Antoni's mask. <laughs> <laughs> um, Henry, what have you heard, or if you've heard anything about how the no fans is affecting shooting in the bubble? Because obviously shooting is up a little bit right now. Um, have you heard anything specifically about like what players are saying or what coaches are saying about that? Like if it's really helping them? I mean, everybody has their like theory about it. Like the one that I like the best is just that it's the same gym every day. Yep. So as a shooter, yeah. right? Like you're just the same look, same spot, same, I guess they have three gyms, but like, but it's, it's not quite the same as going into Chicago and having like a totally different yeah. setup, which I guess, I mean, you tell me you can shoot like, you know, but that's probably helpful, right? Like day 27 of this looking at the same rim. Maybe. Yeah, I guess that's true. And also the, the fact that there's really no travel. So they just kind of have the same routine every day. And I also like how they're doing all the playoff games, at least in the first round. Every team's playing at like the same time every other yeah. day or whatever. Yeah. So they're kind of – you get in a routine, and I guess you can kind of just stick by that for the whole series. So maybe – yeah, that could be part of it too, I guess. I, I, I really believe it is that change of aesthetic. So like I remember in the tourney talk, uh, so obviously Colgate, their home games, 2,000 max occupancy. They go to the tournament against Tennessee. I honestly thought they were going to shoot much worse because of the background and the aesthetic. When you see 
50,000 fans in Columbus, Ohio, compared to 2,000, usually with like two rows back there. It's a different aesthetic. And I feel like that, I mean, Tuck would say firsthand how that affects your shooting, but I, that is like the bubble effect, I feel like. Yeah, I wonder if also there just feels like there's less pressure on that. Or I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but if there's no fans, it's almost just like you're in a practice gym, almost like a scrimmage. And there yeah. just seems like there's less pressure. I don't know how – I can't speak for them how they feel that, but um, in practice, people automatically are going to shoot better than in a game because in a game you just tense up a little bit um, and you tend to overthink things a little bit more. So I wonder if that mentality is kind of seeping into – yeah, three-point shooters, the way they're shooting, I'm, I'm not sure. Could be. Here's what I'd love to look up. I, um, you're reminding me of something that I meant to do, and um, uh, maybe somebody who hears this will want to do it. So uh, Tom Haberstroh wrote this amazing story about big men missing free throws, right? And it's actually this pretty well-established um, thing called focal dystonia, which is the same as, like, the yips in you know, hmm. baseball yep. or whatever. And it comes from, like, these are supposed to be routinized habits, like where you don't think about it, right? Like when you swing a golf club, you're supposed to just use muscle memory. Um, right. But if you try to have a really good swing, then you your conscious effort screws up how the muscles fire and they don't do the right thing, right? So same thing. So big men tend to do things on in basketball that uh, don't get a lot of attention and they're not used to having 18,000 people screaming at them. But the free throw is the moment when they're like, oh God, like I've been tall my whole life. I've stood out in crowds, people... <laughs> treat me strangely because I'm so tall and I don't like that. I don't like things singled out. And now they're going to mock me because I'm going to do something I'm bad at. Right. And so they try extra, extra, extra hard to make the free throw. And that extra hard try makes them miss. Right. Um, and you can see it in like, uh, it's worse at home than on the road. Cause you care even more about those fans and how they're going to make fun wow. of you. Right. So what I'd love to see though, is our big, are those, you know, these 50% shooting big men, are they, if there's 60% in the bubble, that would be really interesting. Yeah, that's a big jump. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious also, obviously we talked a little bit about how the NBA, or you talked about how the NBA ratings are down and they've been down in the past 10 years. And I mean, we were talking about it last week, but even the way that the bubble did the play-in game for the eighth spot was just really interesting. Like I got really fired up about the, the Grizzlies and Blazers game. And I, I felt really invested in it, even though I don't really, I mean, I really like the Blazers guy, I like Dame, but I don't really care about either of those teams. And yet I, I got fired up about that game. What do you think are some of the changes the NBA should make or has to make really in the future to kind of get back to, to ratings and, and get back to people really getting invested in games and like even something like a midseason tournament or making changes to the playoff format. What have you heard about that? What are you interested in or, or what do you think they could do? Um, I have so many, I could talk forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, there is like, there's a tremendous uh, like audience benefit to single elimination, which the NBA just doesn't get. Right. So um, March Madness is exciting because it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's in no way determining the best team. <laughs> but if you just throw that away, it's crazy exciting because, like, someone's getting eliminated every second, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's proven across sports by economists. Like, that is one of the things you can – there aren't a lot of things you can do with format that reliably produce audience, but that's one of them. So having none of that – I mean, the way that they did this was – I know the NBA knows about the value of this. I know they just can't get it done. And this two-game elimination, it was like – yeah i oh, just took all the fun out of it you know right. I, mean? like, I know i know like now we never have the moment that we're trying to build i mean we didn't this year anyway um so and yeah i definitely think they need some kind of single elimination i also think there's um 
you know, a very high level thing is um, you need more audience than there are basketball fans. Like this is true of all sports, right? So um, not that many people follow the Mavericks or the Blazers or the Pelicans, um, not enough to support it. So you need them, you need to have events and moments and times where you get the focus of much more, a bigger audience than that. Like the Super Bowl, people, it's like a hundred X and football fans watching, right? You, in sports, you always need that. Like you need like the people who are not basketball fans to be tuned in and excited. That's where I think um, what used to, you know, the NBA's impulses are to keep everything controversial secret. And I think it's just wrong. I think, I, I think they just need to, somebody's overcoming cocaine addiction, like probably gonna need that on the cover of the magazine. You know, like um, it's not that I think they need to make everything a big reality show, but like a little more of that, <laughs> you know, like a little bit of, uh, a little bit of whatever works to make a successful media product. Like we probably need all those ingredients. And right now they're just so accustomed to being sanitized. Like they just. It's, yeah. and, and I, it, it, it's annoying because I feel like this, especially this coming year after this, because it's so up in the air, it might even be like the perfect, and I guess the bubble was too. It would have been like the perfect time to really experiment with something new and something different. And I don't know if they just kind of they just kind of wanted to get the regular game out there for people, for fans that are, are so used to the norm. But um, I don't know. I think it'll be really interesting, especially if there's a shortened season next year to do something interesting with the playoffs or with a tournament or something, just something new or something exciting and just see what happens. Because and I know that we're Simon was saying, like in baseball, how they're afraid to get rid of the sanctity of the game. Um, and I guess basketball is kind of similar. They, they just want to keep it the same because let's say they do do like a one round or a one game elimination type of thing. Then it's like, does the championship really mean the same thing? Like all, there's all these questions that come up from that, even though it might be more exciting for us to watch for the actual players and teams. It's like, does it mean the same? So it's just a difficult thing. Okay. So I just think it's the dichotomy between being conservative and keeping the purity of the statistics or gaining the audience. Like I think the sport just has to choose baseball clearly chose uh, we, we choose keeping the purity of the statistics and we're not going to make a six inning or three inning game count. Or just, just, they don't have anything novel going on because the sport's been going on for 120 years. But basketball, I mean, I know the audience is down, but I think they've done a better job. They could still do better, but I think they've done a better job than a sport like baseball in expanding the audience and expanding the sport's limits, at least to a degree. I'm told, like, I think it's a, it's a, an asset of basketball that it doesn't really have a history people care that much about. Like, yeah. you know, baseball really does trade on like, you know, stratomatic and this card and this old uniform and the baseball yeah. hall of fame is like an institution. The basketball hall of fame, like, eh, you can skip it. It's all right. Like, <laughs> um, but, uh, so I think that the fact that you can depart from history is a major asset when we're just in this new period of where we actually learn what the audience actually likes. And now that we have this evidence, like, I think we need to pivot, you yep. know, we try and try again. And, um, you know, if single elimination is really popular, then probably need more. Um, you just, I think you should keep, um, actually it says on the wall right over here, uh, be the best at getting better. I think that's the thing, like just keep refining. Right. Um, and I, if they did that and, and then, and so the other thing is you know, they have a competition committee, which is technically responsible for this stuff. And they never do anything, right? And so, um, and maybe it's better now, but my like, you know, pretty solid understanding of what happens is every single person on the committee is there to like increase their team's likelihood of winning this year. 
So if you were the Grizzlies campaigning for whether or not to have a playing tournament and you're in the eighth spot, you're against the playing tournament, right. right? And if you're the Blazers, then you want it single elimination, right? And, and the irony is those two switched. But I think that what that means is nobody's thinking about the fans, right? There's nobody in the room who's like, what will make the whole sport the most popular thing? What makes us better than football is really the question that matters. And instead, everyone's wondering what makes the Grizzlies better than the Blazers. And it's like, well, if that's your agenda, you probably shouldn't be on this committee because you're not trying to solve <laughs> the big problem, right? Like they need, they need a, a powerful bunch of people who really are genuinely interested in um, the big question. And so <laughs> that means either you don't have teams. That means like, you know, somebody spent, someone for Tita spent $2 billion for the Rockets and he's out of the decision now, Right. Right. Or if he's in there, he's just doing stuff for the Rockets. Like this very bold decision to take the structure of the game away from Tillman. Like the league will probably never make that choice, but I think that's what you'd have to do if you really want to like innovate, innovate, innovate. Because as long as Tillman has influence, he's just going to make it better for what's well, good for you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's such a tough decision to make, but I guess that's where Adam Silver, I mean, out of any commissioner, he's definitely the one that probably will excel the game to the best of its abilities and maximize it. Uh, Did you see Evan it? Wash speak at this year's Sloan conference, by the way? Evan, I missed that one. I missed that one. So, so Evan Wash is like the smart guy who works for Adam Silver, who's in charge of like, you know, oh, innovation. And, yep. and he, he talked about, I mean, this is not that new, but he sat on stage and talked about like, you know, 20 really pretty innovative things that they're discussing. Oh, wow. I missed that. Right? Damn it. <laughs> so um, I could find you. The whole thing's online. Um, but uh, um the problem I don't think has been ideas. The problem has been getting the board of governors to really change the game. So that's probably still where we're stuck, but he was talking a little bit about, I mean, then it sounded radical, uh, you know, starting the game at Christmas or yeah, yeah. Um, there's something called the octopus. Um, uh, look that up. That's the, that's like, the, once you, once they explain it, I'm like, Oh, that's the coolest damn thing ever. I don't want to explain it. Cause I'll get it all wrong. But, um, but look up the octopus. That's what you want. Yeah, I'm sure when I looked up octopus, like, you know, it would come up exactly that and, and nothing else. <laughs> Just careful how you Google kids. You know? <laughs> awesome. Um, so I guess to wrap up, we, we've been asking this to all the guests. Uh, what, who do you think is going to win the finals? Gun to your head right now. Who, who do you pick oh. and why? You have to give a little reasoning. Oh, it's so hard right now. I would have said Lakers before the playoffs started, but like they had a little wobbly. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think today I will say the Clippers um, probably change it tomorrow, but um, because um, every team seems to be having like three or four players who aren't playing well for mysterious reasons, and they just have 12 more. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. It's just, sorry, you're not playing well on that team. Just come on out. We'll get somebody else to do that. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I got a million guys. Um, and Kawhi. I, I, like there, there was a bubble game. I think it was like maybe Pacers Clippers. That's not right. Where I think the Clippers ended up losing it. But there was just 90 seconds at the end where Kawhi was like, literally, I think it was both ends. Like, you know, yeah, steal, take it over. dunk, block. Like, I was like, uh, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was actually a little frightening. You know, it was like, yeah. I think he's, you know, he's the pace yourself guy, right? But I think he's been pacing himself. And like, I think there'll be moments where it's, you know, the last 90 seconds of some game seven or whatever, where it's just going to be, oh, we just do whatever Kawhi says. Okay, I got it. 
I remember, I remember now. Sorry, I forgot. Um, so, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's Simon's Rockets. That'd be really fun. I hope it's the Blazers. <laughs> that'd be way more fun. That'd be so fun. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. What do you guys think? You want to go talk? I mean, I made mine clear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going into the bubble, even I would, I said the Lakers, but um, now, I mean, we were talking to Jeremy Wu last week, and he said the Raptors. I, I mean, I actually kind of like that pick too. I really like the Raptors team. I think it's probably gonna be Raptors, Raptors Clippers right now. That's probably what I would say. And then it's hard to bet against Kawhi in that matchup, so I, I would probably say Clippers too. But um, I don't know. That's what I think makes this year really interesting is that no one really knows. There's unlike in the last few five, last five years or so this year, we really don't know, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so Rap- it's Raptors, uh, Raptors, Clippers would have a hell of a narrative for the sports media members. <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start writing the article now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Henry, we really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Super fun. Anytime. Yeah. Thanks. And hope you keep enjoying the bubble. We definitely will be. Um, it's so. been great. I mean, nobody else, like the bigger media, I mean, the bigger audience doesn't like it, but for us diehards, like four games. I love it. I, thought, I think it's been <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I totally love it. Right, Basketball's so yeah. amazing. All right. Thank you guys. Thank yeah. you. Have a good one. Have a good one.